patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the nations before that, and then, of course, God at the beginning creating everything. And David, reflecting in this psalm on his own suffering and in his own difficulties that he was presently um, dealing with, and you read that, we're not going to read the whole psalm just because you don't have time, um, but he said this amazing thing in the midst of his suffering. He trusted the Lord, and he said this very interesting verses here that you see in front of you. He says, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, or Yahweh, and all the families of the nations, all these different, in Hebrews, the goyim, the nations, these non-Jewish people, right? You know, you know that you're, uh, you know, you have words that refer to you and all the other people who aren't you know, your tribe. Uh, most most uh, languages do, and the Jews are no difference. And he says, all the families of the nations will worship before you. And he says, the gives the reason why. So they're all going to worship all the peoples, not just Israel. Yahweh is not a tribal God that only belongs to Israel. And then he gives the reason that one day, all the peoples, which most of them have no idea about Yahweh, don't know a thing about him, right? Most people, you know, Philistines aren't sitting there studying the Torah. You know, they don't know a thing about him. They actually actively oppose and hate their God. But he says this, and he gives the reasons why. So, so I'm going to say the verse, and then you guys say why, and then we'll read verse 28. All of the families of the nations shall worship before you. You say why? Because kingship, dominion, belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nation. The reason that one facet of missions that we should always remember is that God's plan, not just to save one little tribe, Israel, but all the sons of Adam, all these different peoples, is that he's king. Yet again, he is not a tribal, you know, one little group God, but he is the God of all nations and all the idols and all the systems that people worship, as we're talking about praying during Ramadan, they're not true. And that God will one day bring them in, not just to whack them, but they're going to come in and worship because they've seen something about him that they want to give, devote their lives to. And we see David saying this, and it's kind of interesting. Um, the way the Bible, the Bible is, of course, inspired. It is the word of God. It is perfect, um, completely trustworthy in every way, in every letter that it says. And when the Bible was being written, it was inspired in different ways. So, for example, when Paul wrote Philippians, we shouldn't imagine that when Paul was inspired to write this, that Paul was getting ready to go to bed one night, and, and he just started, you know, dozing off, and he has his, you know, he has his, I actually have a pen here, he has his little pen, and he's getting ready to fall asleep, and, and then suddenly a voice from heaven sounds, and like, Paul, wake up, what, 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 well, we got a little bit more writing to do, you're going to write to, 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 to the uh, Philippian church, okay, okay. Okay, now here's what you say. Paul, Paul, to the Philippian church, to the Philippian church, grace and peace, grace and peace 
Now the Father and our Lord Jesus, and, and our Lord, and our Lord Jesus, okay, and he writes that down. Is that the way Philippians was written? No. Uh, the way inspiration happened that, that God moved in Paul in such a way that Paul was thinking, but God was guiding him in a mysterious way. Uh, it, it wasn't sort of this divine dictation, you know, like when you do talk to text, you know, and God's sort of talking to Paul and it just kind of you know, comes out. It's not exactly the way it happens. But of course, sometimes in the Bible, it is that way. When you read the book of Daniel, right? Near the end, you have Daniel, uh, God saying stuff to Daniel and Daniel writes, he goes, wow, this, this stuff was very alarming to me and I didn't even know what it meant. And I go, what does it mean? And God says, just write it down, Daniel, just seal it up. It'll, you know, people will understand it later. And he's like, I just wrote it down. And so there is this kind of, divine dictation, but it's not usually like that. And so when we look at this particular um, psalm that David's writing here, what kind of inspiration is it? Is it David just kind of getting a download from God, as it were, or is David seeing something in Scripture? We know probably the writer of, of Psalm 1 probably was David's who encourages to meditate on the law of God day and night. Maybe Psalm 19, who, who, who considered the, the words and precepts of God more valuable than, than, than many riches. All that's written in that. My guess is it's probably not a download. I don't know. Okay? But that there is plenty, even that was written, because of course David didn't have the New Testament. He didn't even have all the Psalms. He didn't have the later prophets. He didn't have major prophets. He didn't have Isaiah, Jeremiah. didn't have anything. He probably had the Torah. Most people think that even Judges and First and Second Samuel may be written during David's time. We're not 100% sure. But he probably is just looking at the Pentateuch, and he comes up with these ideas that one day all the nations are going to come and worship. And when David looks like all the nations, all the nations wanted to do to David in the kingdom that time was just kill them all and take over their kingdom. And David was happened to be strong enough to kind of push down all their local uh, enemies around there, these different nations and their gods, who were not worshiping, by, by the large part, Yahweh at all, or know much about him. But he has this very strong conviction that this is going to happen. Incredible, right, when you read it. And David is reflecting what I think is the storyline of the Bible. And when you look at it, how does the story start? How does God's redemption story start? It begins in a garden, right? It actually begins in nothing. <laughs> it started in his mind before time began, before there was air, before there was Saturn, before there were orange trees, before there was anything, God was there, and he made it. And he made people. A man saw that he was alone. This is not really good. And he made animals and trees, the water, the stars, everything. And he put it all there, and it was good. And man and woman that he put there were good. And he told them not to eat of a certain tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And then when he, and they were deceived, of course, by a enemy, 
who came in disguised as a snake and tricked them, told them lies and half-truths, and they turned away. And from that, death entered this world that was meant to be for life forever. And there was curses put on them, curses of child, pain and childbirth for the woman, curses for the snake, that he'll be destroyed one day, curses on the man who's trying to work and, and make a living, and it's terrible, and it's hard. It doesn't work. It's like everything is working against you where before it didn't do that to work for you because it was good. And then what happened? And then we had, even within this relationship between it, there's this conflict. There's this difficulty between the husband and the wife, the man and the woman. But he promised one day that he would send somebody to kill the snake, destroy him and all his offspring. And then the story goes on. We see in the first family, in this sin, difficult, sinful, difficult world, that they are, have to leave the perfect place and leave in this world that is marked by pain and difficulty. I, I remember just reading in January, starting my Bible reading program again, just blown away that in the first family, if you think you have family problems, you know, the first family had homicide. The first brothers, one of them was murdered by the other one. It's just incredible. Uh, when we look at how does humanity start, it starts off in the family, first degree murder. It's, it's incredibly dark. And through this, the people multiply and they grow until eventually they become many nations. They become this one, sorry, not nations, but they come and they want to build a tower to, to the sky so that they can make a name for themselves, so that they can be great. And what does God do in judgment? He confuses their languages, right? And then they scatter, right? What do you have when a bunch of people who speak different languages? Well, that's nations, right? In that you have, in Genesis 11, the creation of nations, and it lists them all. And then chapter 12 comes, Abraham. And what does he promise? to do once in judgment, all these nations are created, these different languages. He chooses to bless them, to send somebody who through all the nations would be blessed through a descendant. It's that same word, right? Descendant would come, kill the snake, and then more judgment comes and what? I'm going to bring a blessing to all these nations that I've created resulting out of the judgment. It's almost a very similar kind of pattern, right? You have judgment in the garden, promise of blessing, judgment to the nations, trying to make a name for themselves, messing up what humanity is all about. It's not about you. It's about making his name great and understanding it and showing it, reflecting it as an image bearer, right? That's what we're supposed to do. And then he sends us, and then through the story, he promises, he sings to Abram, and then he has a son that he offers up. And we, we know these stories, all these incredible stories of a son that's given, that's a sacrifice, in which a sacrifice is replaced for the son. And he gets his life back on the third day. You know that, right? Third day, that's what happens with Isaac. And then we eventually get to Isaac, and Isaac has a son named Jacob. Then he has 12 sons. And at the end of all of this, Jacob 
sort of a, a lying, cheating kind of guy, to someone who turns more and more towards the Lord and who trusts him at the end. And then he blesses. And this we're going to get to the text that we're going to focus on briefly. And he gets to this. And I think this is one of the things that I imagine, like to imagine that David thought about when he wrote Psalm 22, that it was a whole part of how he understood the world. That's something that most certainly influenced him. We're going to look at the passage after Joseph, after the story of Joseph, in chapter 49 of Genesis. We're going to look at where Jacob blesses his son Judah. So he takes all these things. He's about to die. They're in Egypt. The family's restored again after that amazing, really cool story with Joseph. It's always worth a reread. You know, it's just an incredible story. You can't make this stuff up. Incredible irony through the whole thing. Uh, lovely. It's lovely literature, and it's, you know, it's also true. It's, man, it's written well, and, it's, and God who orchestrated it is a good author, too. But we look at this, and it's kind of an interesting thing. This would probably, if you're making a movie of, this, of the life of Jacob, you probably wouldn't focus as much this whole process of him going through each of his sons. Maybe who knows how long it took, but probably less than a day maybe an hour, who knows, maybe less, depending how it all worked. But he's going, he's a dying man, and he's bringing each of his sons and blessing him. Um, this is probably not the most interesting part if you make a, a you know, a movie of, of, of Jacob, but you kind of hone in on this brief hour of his life. And this gets a whole chapter of his life, of his amazing, <laughs> sort of crazy, complex life that Jacob lived. You get this one bit. And he says this very interesting blessing. This is one of the longest blessings uh, that he gives. And we see that Judah, although he's not the firstborn here, uh, because of various uh, parts in the story, you can read about that, he's given preeminence in this. He's given preeminence over his brothers. He becomes the, uh, the one who um, is sort of the head of the family. But he says some amazing things. And let's just look at them. And I'll just read the text and you can read along. And this is Jacob speaking to Judah. And this is the blessing that he gives him. He says, Judah, your brother shall praise you. Sort of this preeminence idea. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The answer is nobody. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his fold to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine, um, Oh, yeah. And his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. And that's it. This brief, you know, just a few sentences that this father gives him blessing. And let's just kind of look at what kinds of things. And in one sense, you just kind of read it and go, okay, interesting. He's got, his eyes are like wine, his teeth are whiter than milk. Interesting. That's kind of weird. Let's move on to the next thing, right? But let's just hone in and just look at 
what is this really saying? And it's actually incredible. This is actually a game-changing text for anybody reading this. If David read this, or if you're just coming, reading the storyline in chronological order, as it were, this is a kind of an incredible thing if you know the storyline of the Bible, all right, which we kind of gave a quick overview at the beginning. Let's just look at the top here. Judah, your brother shall praise you. And then he says what's going to happen to you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Now, I don't know. My boys wrestle a lot. Um, if it gets to the point where one is on top of the other, and the other has his hand on the neck of the other one, which usually doesn't happen. Usually someone's crying by that point. You know, someone's thumped yeah. their head. That's why I've you know, forbidden wrestling for the most part. We have pretty much a domination at that point. <laughs> All right? If you've got your hand on the neck, you know, the person is not going to move because you can probably just squeeze the neck a little bit. And so we have this incredible imagery of Judah saying this not only to him, but it's almost this kind of prophetic thing that also happens to his descendants. We see Judah, he says, your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. So those who oppose you, Judah, they won't be able to oppose you very long. You will dominate completely over all enemies. And your father's sons shall bow down before you. And so we have this other, this idea of preeminence among all the family of this God making this great promise through to a descendant, as we read later, of Abraham. This great promises to the descendant of Abraham, as Paul would say, to the seed, right? He says, you're going to be in charge of that. And it's kind of like he's inheriting this great promises of blessings of Abraham. And he says, you know, you're going to be preeminent over all of that. And then he goes further. It says, Jude 9, Jude is a lion's club. And from the prey, my son, you have gone up. I remember we lived, where we live in Africa, there are words for uh, lion. Uh, most of the lions have gone away because they've been hunted and there's enough people. They're out in the East, actually. You know some people who run a hunting company out in the Central African Republic. Um, and there's so many lions, and they're so untouched, and no one lives there. They actually can hunt lions to help, you know, manage the population of lions, believe it or not. But there's lions out there, and it's actually my nickname because I had a beard. They called me Bafadila, which means Papa Lion, because apparently they thought my beard looked like a, like a lion's mane. So that was a big joke. But one time I was staying out in the middle where a lot of people in the middle of the country and at night, you know what I heard one time? I heard a lion roar. And you know what? That was the scariest thing I've ever heard in my life. If you're out in a place, we, we thankfully weren't like camping or anything. It was, it was in a house with a door. If you hear a lion roar at night, that kind of deep, mm, you know, kind of thing. It is terrifying. And you realize um, pre-gun, um, not seeing as well as these things do at night, you really know who is the king of the jungle, right? It's not you. <laughs> it's the lion, all right? It's terrifying, right? And that's, it's no different. than They had lions, of course, in, in, in Israel all the time. He said he stooped down, he crouches a lion as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? So he's, he's saying, you are a lion. 
You're going to be a lion. Nobody can touch you. Like who goes up to a lion and just smacks him in the face? Like you're an idiot. Like, you know, you would never do that. And you have this incredible preeminence, Judah, that you will reign as king, receiving these blessings of Abraham. Enemies won't do a thing. And then what does he say in verse 10? So we have this preeminence, this untouchable thing of, of Judah. And he says, the scepter, what's a scepter? It's, 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 this, it's basically this, this sign. It could be a stick back then. Uh, Judah, of course, had a scepter. It's the same word here. And it's probably some sign of ruling, maybe a staff or a stick. Uh, you know, we kind of think maybe of Egyptians with this kind of really golden cane or something like that, in which they have. And he said, the scepter will not depart from Judah. Now here he's not just talking about Judah, the son, but also his descendants. He says, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. He said, this, you, you're going to be king. And there's going to be a king coming from you. And it's not going to go away. There's, there's not going to be an end to his rule. He says, until tribute comes to him, until people actually, until he dominates other people and other things into which, which, which people bring in their wealth to you, tribute. And to him shall be the obedience of the, of the Amin, right? The peoples. All these peoples. You're going, to be, you're going to be preeminent, not just among Israel. I mean, you're going to get tribute. You're going to be a ruler of the nations. Somebody from your line, somebody from your descendants, he's going to kill. You could almost say he's going to kill a snake. He's going to be so preeminent, he's going to destroy all things. And then he goes into this very interesting part, which is kind of one of my favorite parts. Verse 11, binding his foal to the vine. He's still talking about the descendant or Judah here in this broad sense of, of a descendant of his. He says, binding his foal to the vine, and then he restates it in classic kind of Hebrew poetry. He says the same thing in different words. And his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. Now, some of you are farmers, and I have some farmer friends, and when you study you know, the yields of modern day farming with sort of Western mechanized modern methods compared to ancient world, the amount of yield that we have is, is so much more than it was back then. The amount of wheat that, and the amount of corn, I mean, I, I show cornfields in Iowa, pictures of them that we've taken, or traveling through Iowa. Have you ever been through Iowa? It's incredible. It's just, it's just miles of corn. I mean, you just look everywhere. If you get kind of to a, a hilly part and you can kind of look around, it's just, it's just corn. And you get it just in the middle of the harvest. And I show pictures of that to, to our African friends where everybody's a farmer, right? Everybody's pretty skilled in farming. And, and it's pretty, that's what everybody does. There's no economy other than farming pretty much. And they just marvel. Like every square inch, there's like a stalk of corn, right? And the kind of farming that happens in CAR is similar to the farming that happened back then, to where if you could make enough grapes, right, that can produce some wine, it's an incredibly precious thing. You just can't produce enough to produce the kind of things that we have today, right? We have all these sort of modern uh, 
ways of doing it and we produce a whole lot more, a whole lot more cheaply and makes the food cheaper, which is a great thing, right? But back then it was extremely precious to have enough olives for olive oil for your cooking, enough wine for your drinking that goes with your uh, drinking there. And it's an extremely valuable thing. It's precious. It's not like wines, you know, exactly really cheap today, even, you know, if you look at it, it's kind of pricey. You know, if you kind of like to drink a lot of wine, you know, you better have some money to be able to do it, right? Um, it's kind of a special thing. And, but even back then, even much more so. But look at this, verse 11. He said, he's, he's going to be a kind of guy who ties his donkey to a choice vine. This beautiful vine that takes so much time to cultivate. He says, you're just going to be a guy who just ties his, you know, his donkey to a vine. Now, why would you do that, right? It's like having a Lamborghini, and if you like, I don't know, buy a goat and just tie your goat to the Lamborghini who has horns, why would you do that, right? He's gonna butt around, he's gonna scratch it up. But what if you own, I don't know, 100 Lamborghinis? You know, doesn't matter, right? If you're so, it's like, I don't know if you've ever seen, a, I can't believe I'm using this illustration, uh, the movie Dumb and Dumber, right? Right. I may not, you know, maybe don't, you know, recommend you watch too much of it, but there's this part where these two dumb guys, right, as you may guess, who are very poor and they run into this big, huge suitcase full of cash. And, you know, a minute before, you know, they're they freezing, they're out in the cold, they had no place to stay, they had nothing to eat, nothing, no prospects whatsoever. Then they, they just came into an incredible amount of wealth, right? This is just like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, thousands of dollars in cash. And you see them, they, they're in this hotel and they bought these really like silk pajamas and they're watching some show and they literally have hundred dollar bills and they're blowing their nose with them, right? It's like, they're just throwing them away, you know? Because they have so much money, it becomes something that's just not even a thing. And that's exactly what we have here, is he saying about Judah. Verse 11, binding his fold to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine <laughs> and his vesture in the blood of grapes. I mean, just going around and just seeing, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to, I'm sorry, another alcohol reference, but we're talking about alcohol in the scripture. If you've ever been to uh, one of those places where they make beer, was it Sierra Nevada? I, I saw their, their factory when I was visiting mom and dad last and I was there. And I looked in there, you see these like huge vats that they're making all their beer in, right? Can you imagine just going to someone's house and going, oh, that's full of wine. And you, you know, you just go around his house, he has like, you know, a hundred of those. You go, that's full of wine? Really? You sell it? Ah, we just got so much of it, you know? We just got to build these things to hold it. I'm like, well, do you drink that? No, that's what we use for washing our clothes. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous, right? It's like, how wealthy are you? It's like, oh, we, we just like purple. And we're just going to wash all our clothes because it's nothing. It's almost, it's just like water. It's like city water, you know? We're well water, which <laughs> you get for free. And here Jacob is describing a man who is so prosperous and so great and that the fields and the vineyards, it's like, 
the curse is turned around. It's like the curse when the ground is going to fight against you, Adam. But with this guy, this descendant, it's like it's gone back to Eden. And all the curse and all the things where, you know, if you can get just a few bottles, you know, get a, get a couple vats of wine, you know, maybe sell a little bit and you can use the rest for your family. Man, that'd be a great year to where you're washing your clothes because you just got so much. And he describes a place where the ground and everything is turned back. And his eyes are darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk, this man full of life, full of health. You know, back then, you know, if, if you hang around people where there's not dentists, most people don't have their teeth, <laughs> especially places where you can't make dentures, right? This man, that's not the case, is full of life. And a man who will one day destroy all enemies, the last one being death, who rises as a king, the son of Judah. He will one day turn the world around and the curse will stop and he'll bring in a new world. It's almost like creation is happening again. It's almost like a new creation. It's almost like in God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but this one is creating a new heavens and a new earth. And life is what characterizes who he is. And David reads that text. Let's imagine this is post-Davidic covenant where God promises that there will always be a descendant of his who will be a king. What does that sound like? Verse 10, right? The scepter will not depart from Judah. The ruler's staff from between his feet. And David looks and he goes, I'm from the line of Judah. But there is, of course, a great David's greater son. And in all that, as the, as the old hymn says, hail to the Lord's anointed, great David's greater son. And in all of that, Jesus' promise, when he finally says, all authority in heaven on earth is given to me. I mean, isn't it not this text? to go out teaching them carefully to do all that I commanded them to do. Isn't it verse 10? Obedience of the peoples. Lo, I'm with you, even to the age. Teaching and baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Going out to all nations. Isn't it just this? Isn't it the storyline that Jesus knew? That Jesus was the central part of? That all the plot lines and all the types and shadows find the resolution ultimately in him. So when we look at missions, it's not just this little thing that we can toss to the side and just kind of look at. It's, it's the point of everything. It's, it's what it's going towards. People coming to know him. Or as David said, we read before, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. And that's our hope. So when we do missions, when we give to missions, when we, you know, do planning missions for VBS, <laughs> when we, uh, you know, go out and work with Bible translation or talk to your neighbor 
and all these in which we're reaching those around us and those globally. Um, it's, it's the story. You really are doing what you should do. It's the greatest thing. You're a part of it. The things that Judah wrote about, man, we're living in an amazing time where the gospel is going out to more nations than it has in history. So it's a cool thing, time to be alive, and it's a cool thing to be a part of because it's the point of life. It's, it's, it's the glory of God and the joy of the nations. So that's kind of the end of, of the sermon. <laughs> and I'm going to go now, to transition now to uh, sort of a quick update. And then I'm going to leave, um, was it 10 minutes good for questions? So I'll just kind of give a quick update. That's our family. Um, this is recently taken, just right inside our house in, um, in here in Dallas. Um, as we see, uh, John, when I first came to you guys, it was so great because Ruth and I weren't married, recently engaged. Um, no, we weren't engaged yet, but we were, it was going to happen. And then you guys are interested. And you kind of introduced us as this couple. We're like, oh, wow, this is, this is getting serious now for Ruth and I. And uh, starting to tell about Wycliffe and man, I guess that's been, I don't know, 15 years ago. And you guys have been with us. And I guess we just also want to just say thank you so much for all that you've uh, done over the years. You've prayed for us. You guys connect with us. You, you, you give to us. And we're really thankful. And we don't take it for granted. And uh, so we just wanted to say thank you. And Ruth, of course, really want to say thank you. And all everyone said, hey. The kiddos said, hey. The ones who understand kind of what, you know, what I'm doing tonight <laughs> said, hey. The others just did their life as normal. Um, but here we have, we have five kids, John, Sam. Uh, so I have a mouse. You can see my mouse. Here's John, Sam, Lois, Sunshine there, uh, Frida, and Ruby, right? They're all named after grandparents or relatives of some sort. All right. Uh, just, of course, wanted to say thank you for, for all that you guys have done for us. Uh, just give a quick... Uh, this kind of reminder of who we are and what we do. We work with Wycliffe Bible Translators, and we, I work as a translation consultant, which kind of basically is quality control and helping working with teams, training translators, and also part of the quality control environment that the, uh, the scriptures that are being translated and published are of good quality. And so that's kind of what we do. Um, Central African Republic, 4.5 men people, 72 different languages spoken, one complete Bible, which is kind of old, needs to be revised anyways, um, people are not understanding anymore, uh, but in one New Testament. And we're looking towards, within the next year or so, about three new, three new Testaments being published. This is a big deal. So it's been probably 20 years since anything's been published as far as a complete New Testament, and we're having three of them uh, happening within the next year and about three more in probably two years. So it's kind of a really exciting time in CAR that we're having a lot of these published and also a lot of Old Testament portions. Um, but one of the things that we're, we're, we're looking at, especially because we have such very low literacy rates, one of the team, one of, most of the teams have been, once we've gone through, for example, a consultant check with me uh, and it's ready to be published and it gives the okay to be published, most people have people in the community that they've earmarked as really good readers and they're recording scripture. Now, while most people can't read and books are <laughs> very hard to come by and it's expensive for publishing, they found that they just make simple recordings and people absolutely love 
to hear it. And most people are accessing scripture orally. And so we're seeing a lot of that in the church. We see them training readers, people who do know how to read, and having a transition from French to their language so they can understand how their writing system works. And so that's kind of, that's one of the big methods that, that is happening in CAR right now. And also in Cameroon, um, where we've worked in the past and we'll probably be working for a little bit in the future. Um, I'm gonna kind of zip through this so we can have time. <laughs> we'll a little further than run. Here's, here's CAR, uh, as you can see, just kind of here in the, uh, you can see where it is, obviously centrally located. Um, and we've lived in a couple different, about three different places in the country over the years. We've lived in Berberati, the southwestern uh, kind of a town. Yeah, it's a town, I guess you'd say. And we lived in a little village right here, right in this intersection of this river here, uh, right on the border with Cameroon for, for a year or so in the little village and worked there. And we've also worked in Bangui in the capital. And so we've kind of, and also worked two years in Cameroon, the neighboring country here, um, because of um, the insecurity of the area. Um, here's a focus of one of the languages we worked with for a while, um, 220,000 people. So this is fairly large groups as far as minority languages in the world. Um, very much an animistic kind of culture. Um, various things over the years, um, helping working on writing systems, trauma healing. Most of the people where we go are, are you know, have very, very difficult things happen to them. Rape, hatred, all these, you know, intertribal violence and things that go along with war, being having to force to leave your home, and so many people have dealt with this, and and being also involved with trauma healing, which is Bible-based, uh, helping people deal with trauma, with biblical principles, um, gospels, Mark, just journal articles, just all sorts of things, helping check lots of scriptures, um, from various different languages, about six different languages that we've worked with. Various parts of the Bible, as you can see there. Um, I was going to show a video, kind of what I do, but but part of, like you said, was just this quality control and making sure that what the translators are translating is communicating what the text is supposed to is supposed to say, <laughs> and that and that's a big part of what we do. And so the teams that I've worked with have just been lovely guys. Here's here's. Here's some of my favorite guys in the world, the Bogoto team. They are happy, fun guys to work with and great brothers. And I want to be like them when I grow up, as I like to say. <laughs> um, really just great guys that I, I've just learned so much from. Love them so much. Miss them. Um, try to get in touch. They're, they're out in the village, and it's hard to get in touch, but we do send little messages to each other over Facebook Messenger. Um, so that's kind of the work we do. Here's a dictionary project with the bio that we worked on, which is hopefully gonna be published somewhat soon. Um, yeah, we have about, I think, 8,000 entries in those. And so that's a kind of a fun thing um, the community is quite proud of. Um, currently what we're doing, I am, we're currently here in, uh, in the US and looking to head back, probably working in Cameroon. Uh, currently I'm working at Dallas International University is where we live. Um, and help teaching a phonology course. And uh, <laughs> phonology, um, one of the things, it, it's a study of how sound systems relate, right? Um, 
And so one of the practical outworkings of this is creating an orthography, which is a writing system for a language that works because uh, you basically, uh, if you're gonna write down the system of the language, it needs to, it needs to function the way the language functions, all right? So for example, in English, um, how does he, so if we have, um, you add, to make most, as you well know, to make most nouns plural, for most nouns, you just add an S, right? So if you have the word cat, all right? If you're talking about more than one cat, you'll just say cats, right? And you have that S sound. Now what if you have dog, right? You add an S, right? And it says what? <laughs> Go ahead. Dogs. Wait a second. That's not an S sound. Zzz. Zzz. What is that all about? Well, in our minds, it's just an S, right? But in our minds, we have this rule to where if the S follows a voiced consonant, right? Like G, G, G. That voicing goes to the S. Is the only difference between an S and a Z? It, your mouth and all your tongue and everything goes to the exact same place. The only difference is it's voiced. So sounds like people tend to, if you hang around each other, share characteristics. And this is actually one of the things in English. Now the difference is lots of languages do all sorts of different crazy things. And you need to know how that is because in our minds, it's just an S, but we do it automatically without thinking. We just make it a Z. We just add that voicing to it, right? But we shouldn't write a Z at the end because in our mind, it's just an S. There's just this rule that, that we pronounce it slightly different. We do it automatically without thinking, right? And all the languages of the world have these systems. And boy, do they get bizarre and interesting. And that's one of the things I'm helping at the university, teaching students basically just like us. This is actually our alma mater. This is where Ruth and I met. Okay, so this is training uh, missionaries to go out and work in the world where um, and analyze these systems so that we can have a writing system that people can use and that uh, people can use to, you know, use you know, in life, but also for the scriptures. And so this is kind of while we're here, this is um, the work that I'm doing is working with these. And so we're teaching over Zoom and uh, <laughs> it's interesting and uh, have a bunch of really incredibly bright students. Um, so this is graduate level classes. And, and so our students are just from all over the world and doing, uh, so it's, it's, it's just like all the nations are gathering together, at least the ones who can speak English, <laughs> are coming to Dallas International University where basically, as far as Bible translation, produce more graduates and train people than any one place in the world. Um, so this is kind of a hub for this kind of work. And, uh, and so I'm, so I'm um, an instructor for phonology there. And um, so it's really fun. And you probably can't see it, but we got these great phonology rules in there. In the, so we're working with the students and they're all doing well. So that's kind of currently what I'm doing. Um, where we plan to go in uh, at the end of this next school year, because of coronavirus, because of all sorts of things, we're going to do our school year, and they're probably going to be moving to Cameroon. One of the main reasons we're going to do that is basically a really practical one, um, because our kids are getting older, and the situation in CAR is one where it's very difficult for older children to live in. Um, the security is pretty high there in the city, and the opportunities are pretty low for our kids to 
have any interaction with anybody. <laughs> to understand the security situations and protocols, the walled compounds, and the need for security in a pretty unstable place is harder for older kids. And we've kind of noticed that. And it's a very stressful thing for, for all of us. And one of the things in Cameroon is it's a bit more stable, although they do have kind of a civil war going, but it's a different kind of thing. And, and one of the great needs in Bible translation movement and in Cameroon is the job that I do. Um, I just finished a seven year apprenticeship to where I now can work independently. And so we have, um, there's a, just a lot of need for, for consultants to come in and work with teams. And so here is, we're probably gonna be living in Yaoundé. We're gonna be living in Yaoundé. And probably working with some teams up here, or maybe I can fly up there and work with them. This is also kind of a hot zone because of uh, basically uh, Boko Haram, which is a terrorist group, kind of functions in Nigeria and sometimes up here. But there's a Muslim, a lot of Muslim area up here, and uh, there's some tr translation projects that need some work, and maybe a couple teams in this area in the east where um, they need some Old Testament project uh, because they have a New Testament that's translated and they want the whole Bible, and another new team as well that might need some training and help. Uh, and so working out of Yaoundé and having teams come to us is kind of the model that's, that's working over there. And so they kind of have a place where our kids were a little bit more free to uh, function. There's a school there where our kids can go to school um, and in places and ways to interact socially. It's so much different when you have little kids, you know, we've taken our little kids all over the world. You know, my, my son always tells the story. is like, well, I, my grandmother made me this nice blanket, but I remember I lost it in, in Morocco. He would always say, so we always have these kind of fun stories of, of places that we've been. And when they're little, man, you can just kind of go everywhere. But when they get older, as all you guys know, you know, things get a little bit more complicated. And um, that's kind of the idea and rationale behind moving there. <coughs> and we've lived there already for two years and working with translation teams there when we're waiting to return to CAR um, at one point because, and so we have deep friendships with uh, Cameroonian friends there and missionary friends there. And uh, so that's where Lord willing at the end of next school year, we plan to head back and work there. And in the meantime, I'm just you know teaching at the, um, at the university. This quick rundown is pictures of village life in Gambola. Some of the fun pictures from the past. Um, praise and prayer points. I guess I can just kind of be there. Um, pray for the people in CAR. Continue difficulties, continue difficulties. And you're talking about the coronavirus coming through CAR. It's, 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 it's terrible. I, I literally read an article where they, they said, literally, there are three ventilators in CAR. Uh, there's three of them. There's three. Three. All right. If you lost two fingers and a hand, you can still count the numbers of uh, ventilators that are in CAR. So it, it just, just pray for them. Um, just a difficult situation. It, it, was, it was crazy there before. The, the medical situation is, I've never heard of anything worse. Uh, I've been in the emergency rooms all night, you know, staying with friends who got hurt, and it's, it's the worst I've ever seen. So just continue to pray for them. Uh, we have friends there and trying to, you know, help them and connect with them. And it's a lot, just a lot of difficulty. 
Uh, that's already had a lot of difficulties just more and more. Um, pray for our friends who are there, uh, physical and spiritual challenges, um, our missionary friends, our Af Central African friends. Um, pray, continue, um, we continue to connect well here in the U.S. We're enjoying <laughs> preaching in English. <laughs> it's really nice. Um, our church, uh, is Christ Community Bible Church, is the one we've been at for 15 years. Um, actually, 16 or 17 years, actually, since we've been here in Dallas, um, you know, intermittently, intermittently when we're in the States. And so it's, it's good to be back at, with our church and our small group that we've been with for 15, 17 years. Um, so we're prepping for our move to Cameroon next year. God will prepare the teams and communities that we work with. So this is kind of a new stepping out. Um, and it's, it's, so just pray for our transition. Um, uh, it feels like we're starting new in certain ways. And that's always, that's always interesting. And also pray for remaining support to be raised. Um, so yeah, here's our connection. And just kind of want to open up for questions. I know we have about like six minutes and sorry, I didn't give enough time as I wanted to. But I am now, Unscreenifying. If I can figure that out, I don't know how to do that. See my parents there. Where? How do I stop sharing my screen? Well, I don't know. Nope, not that. I can get you off there. Give me one second. Sure. And if I could see you guys, that would be great. <laughs> Why is that not working? Well, it's probably on my end that I'll have to do that. Hmm. There we go. Cool. There you go. Thanks. So, yeah, any kind of questions? Hey, there you go. Wider, wider angle there. So you said you said that you're having you're able to connect with a lot of the nationals there and your team and stuff like that. Is that right? Are you with the nationals most of the time? Or are you isolated from them? Or what, what's that situation? When we lived in Mangi, uh, most of the team, because of security reasons, actually live in the capital, except for one. Uh, that was the Bogoto team that I was talking about. But they, uh, so most of the work's done in the capital at the translation center there. And so, which is kind of convenient. <laughs> that we all just go to a central office and I can work with different teams. And so there's not enough consultants to go around for the teams. So teams are basically, we don't run projects. The National Bible Translation Organization, ACATBA, runs all the projects. And then the communities also have, you know, their governance of the translation teams. And we come in with technical help. And so we're all just kind of, we work well together. The organizations, which is just such a blessing, love each other. <laughs> <laughs> like each other and work well together. And so that's, that's kind of the model that's going there and in the same thing in, in Cameroon. But yeah, we, we've been able to, it's funny through Facebook, <laughs> Facebook messenger is when I just, that part of the culture is you check in on each other so much. So I'm constantly just, how's it going? How's it going? You doing all right? How's your family? Good. You doing all right. Okay, cool. They ask me how many people have died in coronavirus in Dallas all the time. <laughs> You're just much more frank about that. So how many people have died? I'm like, oh, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I think we got 900 cases. We're like, oh, that's terrible. <laughs> so we trade statistics. But 
I, I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult, but their response is the, the, the coronavirus response there is much different than here. No, most people, most people don't believe it exists. So there you go. <laughs> Um, yes. Do you have um, a lot of what do you call them, audio Bibles available to you in that area? Since you don't have very much, very many books of the Bible that are already translated, I mean, do you have that available to you and to the people there at the church? That's that's yeah. Most of the teams, of course, work with their people in their communities. And what they'll do is they'll just make a simple, um, you know, just usually a chapter by chapter and break it up. And they have the audio files saved on little SD, little mini SD cards. Everyone has a cheap, you know, Chinese phone, like real cheap, like cost 15 bucks or something like that. And everybody has and you can always play music. And so people just use that all the time. And so it's just this really handy way to just spread scripture and you can share the files very easily. And so that's what most people do. They have each team, you know, it's kind of semi-autonomous thing, you know, that there's central governance of the organization, but each team manages their local, how they run everything according to their community. And so most teams, I think now, I think they might be actually standardizing that, making sure that every team, every time anything's available uh, to publish it, audio form. And so, you know, as you have publishing going, you know, throughout the year, Lord willing. And so that is becoming more and more available and that's, and it's free. <laughs> and it's something that everybody can access pretty much. Um, and you can put it in your radio. So people buy radios and they have their little SD card and they can cram it in there and play their music too. And so it's a very, very appropriate technology for, for what's going on there. Well, what is your uh, support need right now? I would have to crunch the numbers. <laughs> so, yeah, there, there's some, yeah, I'm not sure. I could get back with you. Okay. Um, but it's a little less than usual, but yeah, it takes some, there's cycles of giving through the year. Yeah. <laughs> so this is kind of a low time, but then it gets more at a certain time. So I just need to compare it. And, and just kind of get an overall average and see what's going on. But it's, it's, and I also need to find out the new amount for where we're going to now day, but I, it's probably similar to. Well, you know, in your personal uh, walk with the Lord, do you have a specific devotional process that you go through or something that you study or focus on, or is most of your, your personal growth from just translation or what? How do you, how do you do that? Well, uh, for me, I, I've been for the last 11 years or so, I, I have a Bible reading program. As far as just Bible reading, I, I, it's, it's, it's a reading program called the McChain Bible Reading Program. It's this pastor, Scottish pastor, who wanted his church to make sure they were reading through the Bible. And he created this writing. And so anyways, that's just one that I use. and It, it reads through. Yeah, so I just, I, I read through that. And um I have a devotional that kind of written by a guy named Don Carson. I don't know if you heard of Don Carson. He was, he's this New Testament scholar, really good. And it goes with that uh, Bible thing in, uh, that through the reading program. So the particular readings that you have through there is pretty thoughtful, really engaging with the text kind of devotional, not, you know, the terribly warm, fuzzy ones that don't always, you know, 
talk about what the text says. <laughs> it's a little bit, it's a little bit more, you know, has a little bit more teeth to it, less fuzz. But yeah, you know, I get fuzzies from it, but uh, you know, so that's kind of, and, and, and trying, you know, and, and of course being around other Christians, being at our church and listening to good preaching and um, praying with Ruth at night, you know, always trying to get regular with that, or more regular with that. <laughs> and um, sometimes I just want to veg out at night uh, and turn the world off. But uh, yeah, so I mean, things that I've been learning just recently, just Ruth and I were praying about last night, is just being patient, uh, just kind of realizing again and again how patient God is with us when we're stupid and make bad decisions and how much we should be that way with our kids and have realistic expectations of who they are and be very gracious. And, and I think just seeing our own failures in that and then wanting to grow, I, I think that's something that we were praying about last night that <laughs> we're dumb and uh, we don't want to be, we don't want to be dumb. It's uh, our, our, our eloquent prayers. It's, uh, Adam. Question. Yeah, yeah question. question. When you were talking about, you said there was a translation that you needed to update. Is that because the language has evolved, changed, or the people are speaking a different language, or you know, yeah. have been influenced by another language group? Is that what you were talking about? You said you, there was something that needed to be a translation that needed to be updated. That's a good, yeah. Uh, yes, and it, it is kind of the reasons from what we can tell for that. That's what we're hearing from the community and community leaders, that it's using language that's just not used anymore, and it's difficult to understand. Is it kind of like our old English? It it's kind like of like that. Like pronoun systems like are changing, and, and words that were used back when, because the language situation, most people are a little bit more bilingual now. And certain really specific parts of language have dropped out that like only like really people who are like 90 years old, like, oh, I remember that word. And a lot of the young people are like, I don't know that word. While still it's their main language. So the language has shifted and how language is used has shifted. So it makes it a difficult translation for a lot of those. And that's not uncommon for a lot of like older, and when I say older, think, you know, even like 1960s, there's been a lot of shift in the country on how languages are used. And so, of course, that affects understandability of the text. And so vigorously used, but a lot of people are saying, well, half the time pastors are spending half their sermons just explaining their own language, <laughs> which means you might need an updated translation. <laughs> Is there like French speaking people near? Does that Yes answer? and no. Yes and no. Um, it's, uh, so it's an old French colony. They, they only got their independence from France in 1960, which still just blows my mind. There was a colony uh, in 1960. And so it's, it's the language of educated people. So you can get by with French in the capital. That's where the wealthy and more educated people live. And you can, but if you go outside, you can get by with Songo because people are just not speaking French. They don't speak French to each other. It's only in very official situations. We have friends who are high up in the government there and they say officially all government discussions in the cabinet and stuff like that are in French. 
and they always start in French. And like five minutes later, they're all in Songo, which is the trade language. <laughs> because these people are coming from different tribes too, and so they speak, but that's really a more language that people use. But in French, you know, people can have some ability in it, but you go out in the village, no one's speaking it. No one. And and you further the more rural you get, the more tends towards more one minority language. That's a good question. Adam, yeah. Several years ago, I think maybe a couple, uh, it was kind of a, an abrupt um, email, I think, that came out from you that said uh, suddenly there was a, a, an abrupt change of direction for, for you and the family and you guys were coming back and there was some, some period of uncertainty there. Um, yeah. And, and so it's, it was a little alarming on our end, uh, not in a wrong way, just out of concern. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and we got the feeling that it was maybe some sensitive information and, and understand that, but would you mind speaking to that and, and, and where that went and, and how that's maybe changed the direction? Well, I think a lot of it was um, some of the things that we're talking about in Bangui that, yeah, how do I say it? There was a lot of stress in our family and it started to negatively affect us um, in lots of ways in our family dynamic, how we're talking to each other. And, and, and our directors thought it was best that we take some time in the U.S. and work in the U.S. until and work through things. Um, and so we've kind of done that. We've, Ruth and I have talked through things. We've uh, uh, talked with some biblical counselors and went through um, just in our marriage and, and just personally. Yeah, just working through that stress and the difficulty um, through that. And, and so I think through that, we've really, it's been a really good thing. It was a really hard thing. Um, probably one of the hardest things in my life, I would say. Um, but both Ruth and I think that it's, 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 it's been good because the Lord's been good to us and has changed us. And so through some of the dark times. I mean, that's, sorry, that's extremely vague. <laughs> but but that's kind of what we want to be on track. We want to be healthy and who we are as a family. And I think that's really, it's really happened being able to be here, be with some friends, um, talk with a guy who's um, actually based in Asheville um, and kind of hang out with him. So yeah. And some one of our pastor friends there. I don't know if you know Tony Burkhead. Um, one of our friends, Tony. Oh yeah, of course you know Tony. And so he's been a big help to us and we've talked with him um, and another fellow. So it's, it's, that's kind of what we're doing. And so we're feeling just a lot better and more stable and heading back to a place where, um, where we can be. It's funny, I was looking through the history of our, of our um, branch and we've realized that no one has actually raised their children from middle school beyond in CAR. They've either sent them away or they've had to leave. Uh, and um, we've just kind of been, except there's one, one, one exception. We know of one family who did. But it's, 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 it's an interesting place to live. Um, but I think the Lord, through kind of hard things, has exposed things in us that need to be changed. And uh, I think that's kind of basically the story, um, while still remaining vague. <laughs>
Can I ask you a question on a personal yeah. matter? I have a child that's about the same age. Yes. 24 years old. And yeah. I've been having a really hard time. Do you think I need to go get some counseling? Because I cry in the morning and I cry at night. It's almost every day. And it's just, I don't have any guarantee that the Lord's going to reach my child. And that hurts. Yeah. I don't know what to do. And you're, you're, you work in a college, so how do you deal with that? I mean, what did you tell me? Do I need to go get some counseling? What do I need to do to try to get back to being normal again? Because it's hard. Well, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be ashamed to go anybody who's going to really lead you back to truth. I think so many of our fears um, are bound up in, in wrong understandings of reality. I know that's been that way for me. Um, most of our fears of how things are going to end up are bound up in, in things that we're holding on to that we shouldn't. And if you can find somebody who can help you through that with wisdom, who are gifted in that, and who are really biblical, man, I, I wouldn't, at least I could say I wouldn't be ashamed. <laughs> I could maybe send you a link of somebody who was extremely biblical, you know, a lady who's, and, and some people who, who, who could probably give you a good, someone to talk to. Um, but yeah, I, <laughs> I, yeah, I understand uh, to some degree. Terrible fears and terrible sadness. Um, yeah. And if I had known she wasn't really safe, I would have been more diligent, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if any of us can walk away with any kind of, with no regrets. Yeah. I don't, I don't think any of us can feel that way. And, and, and I think a good thing is, at least my dad always quoted, and, and I think even from the text that we've read, that, hey, man, we're just a bunch of Gentiles too. And as long as she has breath, you know, there's hope. Jesus is real and the gospel is true. And we're imperfect. And we can't be the savior of our kids. And it's, it's, a, it's a powerful thing. And we really want to influence our kids for the gospel. And it's, you know, my kids are still young. So it's, it's a thing that I'm not going through in some ways. Um, but yeah, pray for you. Yeah, all I would say is, if you have somebody who can really help you out with biblical truth, don't be ashamed to go to them. I mean, it's, it's the truth. So at least I can see that. That's good. Adam, we appreciate your service and your ministry very much. Would you mind closing this in prayer? That's great. That'd be great. Lord, you are the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our difficulties. And Lord, you send those around us who have gone through things so that you can help others and so that we can help others. Lord, we're thankful that your gospel is true and it's not fairy tales. That it's the truest story ever written. And Lord, we pray for our children. We pray for those who don't know you. 
that we would be a gospel influence in their lives. Lord, help us to trust you in your sovereign grace that you hold the key to every heart and you can unlock them. But the wind blows where it wills and you are in control. Lord, help us to trust you uh, in all things. Help us to more and more see your story that you're writing in this world in which we are your 3D characters in which you will bring your story to an end. And you are worthy of trust because you are good and you don't change. Like everything around us that changes, you don't. Lord, we praise you for that. We thank you for that. So we pray for Blue Ridge that you continue, Bible Church, we pray that you continue to guide her. Um, That you would guide them and continue to be faithful in what you've called them to do. Pray for VBS. We pray for heart-to-heart with kids. What a great ministry. We pray that you would bring kids and that they would see Jesus and people would turn to you and kids would turn to you and parents would hear the truth and see something, see your love and your kindness um, through through us, your people, your body um, there. And Lord, uh, help us to be more and more the people that you want us to be and that you are committed even before time began that we be conformed to your image that we would be image bearers that we would show who you are and lord we are just all recovering idolaters all of us <laughs> and so we need your help and we're thankful that you hear us mm. um, so we pray for that power and all these things in jesus name amen